Class is in session here at the prestigious Apartment Academy. The Apartment Academy podcast here is the multifamily's only operations-focused podcast featuring insights from industry leaders, investors, vendors, and technology providers. So if you invest in multifamily real estate or you are involved in the day-to-day on-site operations of apartment buildings, we are your source for efficient operations and maximizing ROI. Today's podcast was actually going to be part one of two because we had a great discussion with Professor Brent Williams over at the Multifamily Insiders. And uh, we love, if you, if, you don't, um, if you don't on a regular basis visit either Multifamily Insiders or the Multifamily Share Space on Facebook, uh, you, you do not have your finger on the pulse of what people are talking about in this industry. And we, um, we are lucky enough to have Brent bring a little slice of that to the Academy here and talk about some of the things that are most important. So part one is, uh, is talking about how there really is a, a, a staffing crunch in the industry generally, but first of all, when we talked about maintenance and uh, how you, you just have to learn to do more with less probably and what strategies are behind that. And there's some great suggestions that came out of that. So here is Professor Williams. Oh, well, Professor Williams, thank you uh, for coming and returning to uh, the Apartment Academy here. Appreciate you uh, you returning to the lecture hall here at Studio 101 at the Apartment Academy. Happy to be here. Love it. I think, I think Brent, a lot of people, uh, at least I hope, uh, a lot of people know who you are at this point because your, your Multifamily Insiders platform has a tremendous reach and a lot of... Uh, a lot of participants, a lot of people visiting the website, but but for those that aren't familiar with uh, your background and some of the things that you guys are up to right there over at MFI, why don't you just give us a, just a, a minute on uh, what it is that you guys do, your background, how you got in, in the industry, how'd you, you know, where, how did you join this crazy train, and, uh, and then we can talk about some of the stuff we want to chat about. Yeah, I, I think I'm one of the few that actually went with purpose into multifamily. I didn't somehow find my way into multifamily like so many others. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, well, my background was in finance, which was not at all related to what I do now. I do just social stuff now. It's completely unrelated. Um, but I lived in apartment communities for many years, and I thought, you know what? If I knew just one person in my community, I might actually renew. And instead, I, I didn't. And so I just kind of hopped around finding the latest concession that I could. And, uh, and it was always a, f- a frustration of mine. So I came into the industry very much resident retention focused. And how can we improve that and make that experience better for residents? Um, not just on the physical items, because I think a lot of people, they think about, you know, what type of physical amenities are there, but how are we actually creating this this social, uh, you know, platform within a physical space of an apartment community. How do we mm-hmm. get people to actually talk to each other and get to know each other and and that sort of thing? So, so I I got in the space uh, actually creating a social network specifically for apartment communities themselves, so that residents could talk to each other, and found out after I jumped headfirst that. A lot of the property management companies had no interest in having the residents talk to each other. This was, of course, <laughs> back when MySpace was still big. So um, they, there was still 
a lot of question marks about how social media, social networking actually fit into people's lives. So um, kind of changed tacks and decided, well, there wasn't, as I was getting in the, in the industry, I was new and I was trying to find out information. Well, how do communities work? How, do, how does that process work? And I couldn't find anything online, really. There was one little forum that I found, but that's about it. So I thought, well, why don't we have a social network for the industry so that people can come on there and they can kind of crowdsource knowledge uh, on how to run properties the best way they can. And the idea was then to also then showcase what social networking was like to the industry so that we could then go back to our original idea and, and, and bring social networking to the apartment community, communities themselves. Um, but we never went back because the social network for the industry itself uh, just took off. And so I never looked back. It's been great ever since. I have the best job in the industry because all I have to do really is find interesting people, interesting ideas, and put a spotlight on those things. And I let people shine and I just sit back and just show everybody else how amazing these people are. Um, and it's a great way for people to share their ideas, their knowledge, um, both best practices and also forward-looking what's happening, what's what's coming in the industry. And that's always a lot of fun too. So it's all about people just connecting and making themselves and their jobs better. Yeah, and you have a number of great forums for that. You have, you know, you, there's an active dialogue discussion that happens on the website. You've got a number of people posting blog posts on a regular basis. An amazing amount of content comes from there. But one of the most, uh, for me, one of the most compelling components of, of the of the program and what you guys have assembled is is your webinar Wednesday series. I've been listening to those for over a year now. I've been participating in those. And um, there's, there's so much amazing information that's shared there and as well on the other forms that, that we thought, well, let's maybe we could bring some of those highlights, some of the things that uh, of all information that's, that's shared through Multifamily Insiders, let's bring some of the more interesting things here to the academy and uh, and, and reinforce, dive a little deeper, perhaps talk uh, to uh, the operations side of the house about uh, the implications of some of these things that, that you guys are discussing. And, um, and one of them that came up was um, from a gentleman from Plus One Consulting who was talking about how you know the the work for for a number of reasons aging the great the great uh, resignation for a number of reasons the multifamily industry is is really losing people especially on the maintenance side of the house and um, one of the things that we're wrestling with is um, how to replace them but me maybe maybe they're not it's not something we're going to be able to easily it's not a resource we can easily replenish and maybe we have to do more with less we have to be more efficient with on the maintenance side of things and it was a really interesting discussion so let's talk a little about that today um uh frame frame that problem uh for us that that uh, that mark described yeah we were really lucky to have uh mark cookrow uh join us and he was talking about how to get maintenance done when you're short-staffed and uh, i believe he said 75 percent of companies right now are short-staffed in terms of maintenance, and that's just a, an astounding figure. Um, and so it's it's affecting everybody in the industry at this point. And so he was saying how that people are aging out of uh, the industry mainly because maintenance is very very labor intensive, and so it's difficult, you know, um, as we all get up there in years to then 
crawl, you know, beneath sinks and and just get into the spots that is really difficult for for maintenance to get into that we're seeing an accelerated rate of of retiring uh, between that 50 and 55 year old mark. Um, and then what's happening is then you lose, I mean, that wealth of knowledge and we're replacing it with, you know, people who are fresh in the industry who don't have that expertise. So uh, how do you maintain some of that? How can we, you know, make that transition easier? One thing that he mentioned that he's done and he recommends people try out is kind of a, a mentoring approach via FaceTime and other kind of video conferencing approaches where let's say that I'm a maintenance tech, I'm new, I don't really know all the ins and outs, I need some help. So I am there with my water heater, for example, and I can FaceTime somebody who, uh, they still have all that wealth of knowledge, but I can be the one, you know, maybe if I'm new, I'm, I, I'm, I'm still young, I'm not young anymore, but let's say I am, <laughs> um, getting in there and I can then FaceTime, show the exact situation, and then my mentor, can then uh, give me some some feedback on what I'm supposed to be doing in that scenario. So it's a way to then kind of maintain that relationship with uh, our, our amazing maintenance professionals who have such a great wealth of knowledge and not let them just kind of disappear and with it all that institutional brain knowledge. Right, uh, that's an innovative approach. There's a number of things like that what, what I think we should touch on today. Um, but I want to kind of rewind a little bit and talk about kind of the, the core problem uh, because there are maintenance people in the world, right? There are, uh, there, are, uh, there are craftsmen and people that are, that are in the vocational trades. Um, and the problem, I think, one of them for the multifamily industry is that um, in, in, let's call it private practice or, or in tr other trade organizations, they generally can make more money. The the apartment the apartment multifamily industry has always been challenged with um, providing wages that are competitive um, outside of this industry, and part of that reason is driven by the fact that that uh, there you know, you can only squeeze so much out of out of um, out of rental a rental income budget um, before the you know the before NOI has has is impacted and and now you have a, an, an investment that's frankly not performing so there's always this tension especially between especially in in, in the scenario where you have a third-party management company who's who's working for uh an owner who's not self-managing there's always this tension between uh you know what can we pay uh in order to attract uh experienced enthusiastic engaged individuals um as opposed to, well, how much do, how much can we afford before our, your, our, our, our net cash flow, our cash on cash returns are started to be impacted. And that's always, you know, been a problem. And now it's, it's been exacerbated by the fact that I think people have easier choice. If they don't want to work in the apartment industry, it's easier than ever for them to find other work. Would you agree with that? Is there some, is there, was there another um, component of all of this that, that came up during that webinar? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, he said that I think maintenance is paid on average 20% uh, less than uh, competitive industries that they could go to. Um, so we're definitely, uh, you know, uh, running behind that in that aspect. Um, there's also elements of, uh, you know, there's 
things that we can do to make their experience better. I we we had a, a poll. I was talking with uh, Adrian Danila a while back. We're, it was a poll about you know are you paying premiums for people being on call? Um, are you paying premiums for um, uh, actually coming out on call? So it's the hey I ha you have to be with your phone next to you. Are we paying a premium for that? And I think that you know again it comes down to pay and, and whether that budget can afford that, but. Um, there's so many different levels of we're not addressing the, the challenges. I mean, it is challenging to be on call and maybe get a call at two o'clock in the morning. How can we make that a better experience for our maintenance technicians, um, both pay and not paid? Yeah, well, they, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and when that call comes at two in the morning, the person you go to meet at that hour is never happy. Like you are about to have a bad experience. And um, we don't compensate for that either, really. I, I don't feel like we just compensate for the emotional component of, of having to deal with people who are upset because something is broken, or it's not working right, or they're locked out. And, um, and these, these, these folks, these individuals are on the front lines of those discussions. They, and, and, you know, if they don't, if they don't react with complete decorum or if they don't react in a calm manner to what can be a very adversarial um, engagement, well then, you know, the company looks bad, the companies are trouble, and then they get in more trouble. And they, it's, it's a very, it's difficult on all kinds of fronts. Making the experience, I think what you led with saying is, you know, we don't, we don't make the experience for them as, um, as pleasant could, as it could be to help retain them. Uh, yeah, that's part of it too. So pays part and then, you know what what we can do to uh, just improve the uh, the daily lives of maintenance workers. Yeah. So let let me kind of cite what he said as far as um, he said maintenance is overwhelmed and overstressed. Here are three changes that he recommends. The very first thing he says work environment specifically. He said that specifically the word respect comes up a lot in his discussions with. Uh, the maintenance teams and right there. I mean, as we talk today, there's actually going to be some really interesting overlaps between the question of pay and the question of intangibles and how I would say that we are definitely not paying team members in multifamily enough relative to their peers. However, we're seeing that there's a lot of other things that are impacting people's, you know, um, quality of you know appreciation of of multifamily well beyond pay and so you know respect that keeps coming up i mean i think that there still is a major issue of of how the maintenance teams are viewed relative to maybe their on-site office counterparts and how are they seen on an equal footing i think there's, I think there's a lot of companies who still struggle in that respect mm -hmm. on how to uh show respect to their maintenance teams in in the uh, the value that they're bringing to the community every day yeah yeah the respect they don't feel the respect from their colleagues we, we, i was i was talking about residents which is also a problem but yeah if they don't feel the same level of respect from the from their from their colleagues on site um that's worse in some ways because that they they really have earned it we see it on the training side a lot where um and now this is just my little world of training but uh, we see companies who will pay 
they're uh, paid to have their 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 uh, office team members, on-site office team members, take a course and actually set aside time to take that course. And with maintenance, we're seeing not nearly as many companies to give them that time, figure out how can you make it so that, now granted, on maintenance, you never know what's gonna come up and there are maintenance emergencies that do pop up on a, on a regular basis. But I, I feel like there's a lot of companies who don't, don't still don't think about a strategy of how are we going to, to train them. And training is a form of respect. It's showing that we care enough about you to increase your skill sets. And so by not kind of putting out that effort is sending a signal to the maintenance teams that just do your job. We're not going to you know, uh, amplify the skill sets that you have. Where, where does a career path go like one one thing that people one thing that people need to sort of feel like you know there's a home for me here i'm i'm dedicated i'm committed to this company is they 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 need to see some vision for where they can go and the you know if you look at the industry like sort of middle management upper management even uh you know you don't see a lot of maintenance folks that have ascended to certainly not regional managers, but not even property managers, right? So if once you're a service manager on site, unless you're with a large company who has like senior directors of maintenance, whatever, and there's, you know, that's maybe the top 50 multifamily companies, there's really not, there's really not a whole lot of places you can go after you're the senior, you know, technician there. Yeah, that's a, uh, I would say maybe a lack of creativity on, on the part of our industry of, of how to provide a path going forward. That's one thing Mark said was that, you know, a lot of people reflect and say, am I just going to be working in the same property for 20 years, same job, same property. And is that really the, uh, is that, you know, gratifying from a, a, a career perspective. And I would say a lot of people, if they really thought forward and go, wow, this could be, you know, what I'm doing for 20 years, they, that may not be enough for them. So what were some of the, let's get to some practical solutions, Brent. What were some things that were discussed as steps that operators can take to attract, retain, um, train better our, our, uh, our, our maintenance workforce? One of the big things that he mentioned was uh, tools and how if there are not enough tools that they have to be shared across maintenance techs so that you know, you're always having to wait to get that tool that you need in order to do something is going to just kill productivity. Um, as he mentioned that, it also made me wonder about, you know, this his whole webinar was about how to get things done when you're understaffed. And, and I ah, could right. be wrong about the economics of this. I, I mean, I, I, am, I understand that I may not have the whole picture here, but a lot of our communities are very, um, have very high occupancy. And if they're understaffed on the maintenance side, that means that they probably are, they have this, this amount of money that they would be paying a maintenance technician, but they don't have one right now. Why couldn't they allocate that to more tools for the maintenance team and more and more updated tools? He was saying that a lot of tools that maintenance uh, technicians have to deal with are old and outdated. And some types of tools, that's okay. It's a, if it's a hammer, that you're gonna be fine, right? But there are a lot of measurement tools that it really makes a big difference whether or not that tool is five years old or not. Um, there's something else I think that that could play a role into this, and he didn't mention this, but I I remember I so in a prior life I did I, I ran 
cable through uh, residential homes. Uh, I did like coax and, and ethernet and that sort of thing. We did smart homes. And it was fun to work with those, you know, the higher level tools, the higher level systems. It made me feel interested in my job, right? And it, it was neat to have those gadgets as it were. And so I think there's probably also a an element of pride in your work when you have a little, you know, uh, you know, better tools and you're not working with these, you know, these things that have been around forever. They don't work half the time. So um, he said the number one thing was making sure they had the proper resources that it, so it's not holding them back. Um, the second mm -hmm. real main point that he had was think about productivity from a timing perspective. And most people are most productive the first half of the day. So what we want to do is not interrupt our maintenance technicians so that they can get into a groove, they can get going. And um, a lot of times they get pulled away by saying, you know, a text that says, hey, can you check in on apartment 306? So, you know, to, to, to work on whatever, and it may not be a priority, but now you've got this directive. And he said that every time a maintenance technician has to switch tasks, it costs 30, I'm sorry, 23 minutes of productivity every time they switch. And so that's a, that's a huge amount of time. I did some kind of back of the napkin math on that. And if a, if the office team can reduce the amount of interruptions they give to their, to a maintenance tech by just one time during the day, each day, that equates to about $2,000 in, in man hours or woman hours to, to get more things done. And that's just per maintenance technician. I mean, multiply that for each technician, you get a pretty good chunk of change as far as um, additional um, labor for, for each person. So, and it's also less frustrating, you know, it's, it's never fun to wow. constantly be pulled away what you're trying to do and get, sh you know, thrown onto another task. So really focus on that. And also uh, focus on the ugly work first, because if we're more productive at the beginning, do the, the hardest, biggest challenges first. And then later in the day, when you're your mind is a little tired. You're a little tired. Maybe maybe change out the air filters or something at that point. You know, focus on the really tough things first. Yeah, eat the frog first. Yep, exactly. If you, if you eat the frog first, the rest of the day is everything's easier from there. Did 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 they? Um, I don't remember. Did they talk about uh, where technology might play a role to help? Because trying to keep people on task, trying to prioritize things for people, um, trying to communicate you know, what's urgent and, and what can we, um, that is all sometimes difficult to do on a flight. Did they talk about, did he mention all technology or anything that could help on that front? I don't recall offhand, but that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, the more, yeah. the more a, uh, a system can be in place where they know exactly where they need to go next. They know exactly what's on their, on their schedule. They don't have to make as many runs back to the, uh, the shop because it's not scheduled out in a very efficient way. I mean, that's that's all part and parcel to that increased productivity. Yeah. Yeah, if you're trying to if you're trying to do more with less, if you're trying to keep people on point, um you, you you're going to have to turn to technology, I think, in order to really uh make that happen because the pen and paper and clipboard or even an Excel spreadsheet uh, it just doesn't, it, it just doesn't cut it anymore. Like we, if we, we've got to be maximum 
we've got to we've got to have maximum efficiency when they're out there, and uh, and having them return to the office to see what's next, like real time on their device, that kind of stuff. That would I, I think that would all be important on that front. Um, Absolutely, and there's so many great tools out there right now. Um, I, I'm sure Leonardo twenty four seven can can help in a lot of those 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 functions. So I mean, people need to look into what's available out there, and I think it's a lot of people just don't realize all the different options available to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, certainly, Leonardo would be would would be perfect for that sort of thing. Um, anything else on on the front that, that on the doing more with with less that that came out during that you want to share? I, I think. He had a ton of great takeaways. I'm sure I have missed plenty in there. I just put some of the, the, the top ones I could think of. Um, but yeah, uh, the, if anybody wants to check out um, the whole session and really get some deep dive into, into what he was talking about, they can still access it on Multifamily Insiders. I believe if they go to multifamilyinsiders.com slash shortstaffed, I think it's, it is. Um, they can go and get a direct link to, to Mark's events. Awesome. Well, we spent a lot of time with that. I want to, Brenda, I don't want to talk about something else, but let's, let's, um, let's take a break. We'll do that. How would we do that in a second session? Sure. That sounds great to me. Okay. Awesome. So that's a break here for us. We're going to stop with part one of Brent's lecture here at the Stately Apartment Academy. Take a break. Go back to your homes, uh, study up, read your review your notes, and and come back for uh, for part two, uh, which we'll post here as well. If you enjoy these podcasts here at the Apartment Academy, and you feel like your management company could use a little advice from some of the professors here, then go to our website apartmentacademy.com and click Help Me. We'll send you a questionnaire and provide individualized responses to your answers at no charge that I guarantee will offer you insights on ways you can immediately improve apartment operations. Until next time, I am the Dean of the Apartment Academy, Daniel Cunningham, bidding you farewell, and my office hours are posted.